Hello, welcome to Tales of the Pale. This is Terrence Smith. Let's talk about the gods this week. In the universe of the Pale, the gods sit at the top of the hierarchy. Uh, Ryanon is the acknowledged leader of all the different communities in the Pale. Lugos is kind of her right-hand man, lawman, detective, Sherlock Holmes. He is a god of truth. Uh, he a, has a title of Lightbringer, Godkiller. Um, he is my Sherlock Holmes. Ryanon, on the other hand, is a very complicated character that I have explored throughout several of the books. Um, but in book one, The Love of Gods is where I introduce all these characters. And for readers who have never um, read about an ancient uh, cosmic being, um, someone who is trying to pass as, as human, but maybe immortal, this is an interesting concept. And so a lot of times I have to explain that when I say gods, I don't mean divinity. I don't mean um, that they're all-knowing. These are very fallible creatures. And of course, that's what makes them interesting. So what I'm going to do in this podcast this week is read a couple of excerpts from The Love of Gods, where I highlight and describe each of these um, gods. So let's start with Rhyanon, because she's at the top of all this. And in this scene, Rhyanon, uh, Lucos has gone to Rhyanon's Kentucky farm to meet her, uh, to find out what she needs. And unfortunately, there are also two other gods that are there uh, at this meeting. And Lugos, we know, does not get along with his kin. He is an outsider. He's kind of uh, been exiled here on the human plane. So um, let's, let's start right here. I think this is in chapter five. A mortal would describe Ryanon as well-rounded. The goddess was a big woman, but a casual onlooker would not know that the muscle, not fat, lay beneath the tailored fawn shirt and pressed blue jeans. She was truly a force of nature, and quite deadly for those who made the mistake of underestimating her. Today, her signature red hair was barely contained inside a pink baseball cap, the excess spilling out the back like a fox's tail. She looked reassuringly human, mainly because sunlight obscured the faint glow of power that always surrounded her like a red halo. But what Lugos couldn't see was, with the naked eye, he had no problem feeling. Welcome to Bonner Farm and thank you for coming, she said, stepping close to him. She glanced briefly at the cane he carried before leaning forward to kiss the air beside his cheek, judiciously avoiding his two-day-old stubble. It's nice to see you too, Ryanon, Lugos replied, a smile tugging at the corner of his mouth. You look pale under that tan, Lugos. I'm fine. The reply was too quickly given. He'd long since given up his Apollyon glow of power to better hide himself among the mortals he championed. She leveled her startling green eyes on him. Are you ready for this? His smile faded. Lugos gave her a shrug and gripped the cane a little tighter. The knots in his stomach that he'd been trying to ignore rolled like dice on a craps table. He kept his reply carefully neutral. We'll see. The spear is a little much, don't you think? Sometimes family squabbles get out of hand. This, he said, raising the collapsed spear, is only meant to keep everyone cordial. Just don't point that thing at me, love. Remember, I've been on your side more often than not. 
And here I'm going to pause for a moment and say there has been a lot of history between these two characters that is explored as you go through the entire series. So, what do we know? Rhinon is in charge. Lugos comes at her bidding. And now let me skip ahead. A same chapter, just a little further along. Without preamble, she announced, Seraphine is dead. She then looped her arm through his free one and set off, her heels steps surprisingly light beside his heavier footfalls. He thought the name sounded familiar, if only vaguely. Seraphine. She, Rhinon drew out the word for clarity, is, was, she hesitated, correcting herself, both witch and shifter, respected elder within the sacred grove coven. Rhinon waited a moment for him to absorb that bit before continuing. She also held the post of ambassador-elect in the shifter community. Seraphine often helped negotiate rather difficult issues between the Greater Northern American Witch Collective and the more militant wing of the United Shifter League. Lugos made a noise, something between a groan and a grunt. No wonder she's dead. Ryanon narrowed her eyes in that same judgmental cat stare. Reason enough, I know, but there is something going on that isn't exactly kosher. There's been a recent regime change within the USL. Seraphine's brother, Talon, who happens to be both witch and shifter as well, has made a clean sweep of the old guard. It was quite a takeover, but I didn't think twice about it until Angus arrived with his news. It has given the whole affair a rather nefarious feeling. Lugos remained silent, merely inclining his head at hearing the, her news. There were regime changes among the shifters all the time. It was in their nature to want to be top dog, or wolf, tiger, bear, whatever. But pointing out such facts to Ryanon wasn't going to get him back home any faster. He'd just have to hear the whole story before he carefully told her that she was overreacting. By the time they'd reached the other end of the barn aisle, he could almost feel her teeth grinding with frustration at his clear lack of interest. I know when the mighty fall and why, she went on. What's happening now is different. I just don't understand the why of it. Something is in motion. I can feel it. And you want me to find out the why, he asked incredulously. There was a golf cart parked at the edge of the barn area. When they reached it, she released his arm. Please tell me that you haven't come to the conclusion that all is not right in Oz because of what Angus told you. Yes, I have, she spat back. Not an altogether reliable source. Rhinon glared at him and then pointed one perfectly painted turquoise fingernail at the golf cart. Don't lecture me about Angus. Get in. His and Rhinon's alliance had always been unusual for his kind. He didn't exactly need her, nor did she exactly need him. But a happy Rhinon did make his life easier. She had the power to keep members of the Pale out of his affairs. In turn, he occasionally offered up his unique set of skills. And then there was that favor she'd done for him when he needed it most. To avoid a larger argument, he wordlessly took his position on the golf cart's white upholstered seat. And let's stop there. I'm going to move further on and get us to the actual meeting between Lugos, Ryanon, Bride, and Angus. As a rule, Ryanon employed only members of the Pale. As a favor to him, she had always taken the extra precaution of clearing out her staff before his arrival. Lugos hadn't exactly been kidding about his reasons for bringing along the spear. 
Past meetings between him and those of his kin had tended to get out of hand. All it took for chaos to erupt was a perceived slight. Ego and self-importance were family traits few of his kin even tried to overcome. Ryanon slid open a set of enormous wooden doors, which parted smoothly and swiftly as if they'd weighed no more than drapes. As the panels rolled back into their walled encasements, Lugos caught his first glimpse of Angus, just as the bronze god turned from a window. Angus smiled indulgently at his hostess, the warmth of the practiced smile never quite reaching the god's eyes. Lugos's first impression was that Angus had changed very little from the last time they'd been forced to endure one another. The god's boy-band beauty had only ever altered according to the dictates of fashion. In the 1950s, Angus could very well have passed for Fabian. In the 90s, it had been in sync. Now he probably found himself mistaken for some teen heartthrob Lugos had never heard of or cared to. After giving Lugos a nod of recognition and receiving one in return, Angus said, So fucking glad you showed. A wrinkle of worry appeared on the god's face the moment he registered the cane in Lugos's grip. Angus had seemed clearly relieved before spying the spear. Now he tried for hurt, but the emotion, like the smile, never actually reached his eyes. Again, I'm going to move forward. Being a god of youth had definite drawbacks, the worst of which had to be that Angus would never mature physically or mentally beyond the sheer hell of adolescence. It was his nature to be flippant, impulsive, and generally a pain in everyone's ass. Lugos typically found himself slipping into the role of older brother when he was forced to deal with the superficial god. And as far as Burning Man or any other witch's celebration was concerned, Lugos would continue to stay as far away from his mother's followers as possible, even if it meant that his own god powers had to run on empty. He skipped the niceties. Rhinon says you have a problem. As she sank into a chair nearest Angus, Rhinon gave him an encouraging nod. If Lugos found himself playing the role of older brother, Rhinon was the doting sister whose reassuring touch came across as a little incestuous. Angus shook off his host's petting with a wave and an impatient frown. His ice-pale blue eyes missed Rhinon's anger at being so openly rebuffed. Lugos took a firmer grip on the cane in his hand. Just as Angus began to speak, Rhinon cursed. The damn bitch is crafting again. Look at this. She swept the diminutive votive off the glass coffee table and held it aloft for Lugos's inspection. It sparkled in the sunlight. She put goddamn glitter on my Linux vase. The goddess's cheeks and nose had turned an unflattering shade of red. As if on cue, Bride glided into the room and announced the arrival of tea and cakes. Lugos watched her float by in her long skirts, a blurred stream of reddish-gold light trailing behind her like, like a ghost. The color of Bride's power had always reminded Lugos of dying coals. When she stopped moving, the common effect ended but the goddess's power made her skin appear a bit unworldly, as if tiny flecks of dancing flame lay just under the surface. Even more unsettling, Angus's twin sister had never made the effort to move much past the restrictions of Victorian fashion or social decorum. Until Martha Stewart came to the petite goddess's notice had the all-consuming passion for crafting unsettled and otherwise predictable mind. None of Lugos's kin truly looked forward to Bride landing on their doorstep, 
at first because they didn't want the constant reminder of her canonization, but now because things like Rhinon's base happened, and because it was difficult to get the goddess of home and hearth to leave before she repurposed every possession you ever held dear. Completely ignoring Rhinon's mounting anger, Bride set the burdened silver tea tray on the coffee table, the defined edges of her exposed skin blurring disconcertingly as she moved. Rhinon inserted the twinkling vase between Bride's face and a tilted teapot. Bride ignored the object and busied herself with the task of pouring tea for everyone. Didn't I tell you not to mess with my things? When in bloody hell did you manage to do this? Bride looked past the vase into Rhinon's flushed face and smiled. It was a rather sweet smile. When Lugos imagined a mother might give a beloved child. It's pretty now, don't you think? It only needed a bit of help, a pop of color. You take cream and two sugars, as I recall. She then righted the teapot and set it aside, not having spilled a drop. Rhinon's mouth snapped shut. She turned and glowered at Lugos. The silent plea in her gaze seemed to suggest he use his spear to rid them all of Bride's presence. Lugos gave her the slightest of nods. So there you have it, four rather interesting characters. They're gods because of what they can do, not because they are divine beings. And they do make for a lot of chaos later in the book. Um, for anyone who hasn't read the book, the cane Lugos is carrying is actually the spear that he uh, killed Balar with, and it's also the reason he's called the god killer, and it's the reason that the other gods are careful around him. So, I hope you enjoyed that. I definitely enjoyed writing those characters. They are so fun, and periodically they do make appearances in other books, but it's here, there, and yonder, and they're always redescribed for the reader so that you don't have to have ever read the first book. Thank you for listening to Tales of the Pale. I hope to see you here next week. And in the meantime, enjoy Thanksgiving and enjoy family.